Welcome to the Business Fights Aids podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley, and this is episode two, Macrame. In the first episode, we met a group of unlikely partners building the global business response to AIDS with the US foreign policy giant Richard Holbrook, sometimes our general, sometimes our figurehead, and sometimes a problem we needed to work around. And together, we founded the Global Business Council on HIV and AIDS. In this episode, we look at my diaries from the last few months of 2001, coming immediately in the wake of September the 11th. We tried desperately hard to enthuse companies around the world to join us. It was hard, unrelenting work. Like everyone else, they had other things on their mind. But we weren't giving up. This was AIDS, the first global pandemic of the 21st century. September the 14th, 2001. I was only able to get into the office today, Not that I could do much. We have one staff member, Patricia Mugambi, who lives in New Jersey. She is from Kenya, and I am excited to work with her. She has a brilliant mind and is exceptionally personable. Together we will charm, and if charm doesn't work, we will browbeat companies into GBC membership. I first interviewed Patricia by phone when I was still in Geneva. She hopes to start work in the next few days, I would really like her to, but I don't know how to process this administratively. Holbrook says we have the money. He told me there is funding from a range of foundations. His assistant, AB, is going to give me all the information. But of course, I can't press AB for this just at the moment. The world has changed, and I don't know how or when we will move forward. We are obviously not going back, back to normal. But what exactly is normal to begin with? I became an adult during the AIDS epidemic, and ABBA has not recorded a full studio album since 1981. So what is normal? Twentieth of October, 2001. Julian Hussey, Now a consultant to the GBC, and I take a trip to Geneva. We meet with colleagues from UNAIDS, some of whom I don't know. And they don't know that I'm on secondment from UNAIDS to the GBC. They want to produce workplace guidelines, but not promote the companies that are implementing them. They don't want a conflict of interest. Well, that is absurd. Adding to the absurdity is the state of the UN's own HIV workplace policies. People with pre-existing conditions are not able to access the WHO-based healthcare services that UNAIDS is obliged to offer. So, technically, UNAIDS can't offer health services to employees with HIV or with Crohn's disease like me. How to navigate this discriminatory landscape is not for now. We did find ways, and we were helped by senior personnel staff, but it really sticks in the throat that UNAIDS is behind the private sector in workplace policies and yet has the nerve to believe it has the right to tell private sector employees what to do. It really doesn't have the credibility to do so. Peter Piot is travelling during Julian's and my visit, but we are able to get messages to each other. 
this is a priority for Peter, and we sketch out ideas on what to do. Julian never panics. He says we should just focus on the private sector, ignore the foolishness of Geneva. They'll be forced to catch up. Julian has a dry, martini-like sense of humour. We talk about implementing a global competition for awards in the business response to AIDS in 2002, just as we have done in previous years. It is an attempt to locate new companies that might be brought into the fold of membership. Julian says, Oh, I don't know why we bother. We all know who is going to win anyway, and it won't be the UN, but everyone loves a good competition. I have to say, Holbrook does not understand Julian, and he asks me, when am I going to fire him? Shouldn't this be left to Patricia and me? No, I reply. Julian has a strong sense of strategy, amazing contacts, and the companies we do know love him. Holbrook leaves the matter alone until next time. This nonsense has nothing to do with Julian. It's all about removing the old regime. On this trip to Geneva, we meet a fellow advocate who has been hired by an organisation that arranges exclusive annual conferences in the Swiss Alps. It is going to do something very similar to the GBC, mobilise the business response to AIDS. We need to agree a collaboration, or at least a truce, Companies pay a fortune for their senior leaders to schmooze with celebrities, leaders of the UN, and some acceptable NGOs at these exclusive Alpine events. And like AIDS conferences, not much happens in the programme. It's all networking. By October 2001, I have been twice to these Alpine events. Once with Sir Richard Sykes when we announced the intention to create the GBC, and once again in January 2001, when I accompanied Peter Piot, Executive Director of UNAIDS. The second time with Peter, I was not allowed through the ring of security that protects the conference. So we arranged all of Peter's meetings outside in cafes and hotels on the periphery, which felt rather petty. Also, I fell up to my neck in a snowdrift getting to one of these meetings. I did manage to creep inside the inner sanctum without anyone knowing, a journalist who I respect deeply from a famous European media organisation invited me to a radio interview for its world service, and she sneaked me into its makeshift studio through the kitchen back door of a restaurant that sits on the corner of the protected zone. Now, I really like the advocate who works at the Swiss Conference Organising Organisation, and in other worlds, we would be firm friends, but we are caged, because Holbrook and the head of the conference organising organisation do not like each other. There is a passage from Holbrook's To End a War, where he describes speaking at what he thought was an off-the-record meeting at one of these conferences. It was, in fact, on the record, and was reported on by journalists. This would have caused him some embarrassment, albeit temporary. The conference organising organisation has headquarters that sit menacingly on the hills across the lake from Geneva. There is a huge metal gate that opens slowly to let you in, with uniformed security guards at every turn. Staff are allowed to meet their guests in an open atrium at the front. I imagine they all work underneath this grand vista, huddled together in rows of tiny desks. After what I seem to remember was a productive meeting with the fellow advocate, and I have lost the note of the meeting itself, I need to check with Julian. We are told we are exceptionally lucky and we are escorted to meet the person who founded the conference organising organisation. Julian and I sit at the front of their desk like naughty school children, 
and the eyes bulge out of our heads in astonishment. What a sight! Behind the person is a wall of TV screens. Are they news channels? Or are they watching their staff work? I don't remember. They turn around in their swivel chair to face us. It's all very 007. All that is missing is a white cat. And they describe how the conference organizing organization is going to organize Africa on ice with Sting for the next annual event in the Alps. I fear Julian is going to lose his English sang-froid and collapse into giggles. He fears that I might do the same. I add this note at a later stage. As it turns out, the conference organizing organization organizes its 2002 conference in New York at the Waldorf Hotel in solidarity with New Yorkers. And of course, most people do not want to be flying anywhere yet. Holbrook gets a free invitation and makes a show of reluctantly agreeing to attend, although you can tell he is thrilled. Our advocate friend is able to organise a free pass for me at the last minute, so I join Holbrook, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Twenty second November two thousand and one. Patricia and I spend hours reviewing companies, their corporate responsibility programs, and any statements their leaders may have made about HIV, positive or negative. Julian Hussey and Susan Pearl join us for calls to agree who we prioritize. I make a lot of cold calls on the back of even colder letters of introduction. Frankly, it is hard to generate any enthusiasm. I wonder whether I will be heading back to Geneva much sooner than I expected. I have infrequent, randomly scheduled meetings with Holbrook. We discuss the impact of what is now being called 9-11, the attack by terrorists on New York and the Pentagon, and what it will mean for us. He says, this was always going to be tough. It's going to be much tougher now. I don't know that we will pull it off. But I think you and I can do this, so I'm willing to keep pushing if you are. He frames this as if it is a question, as if I had a choice. We both laugh, because we both know there is no choice. It's also quite a compliment, which I'm very happy to take. In one meeting, I ask him what I should call him. I notice that he is called Ambassador by some people, Richard by others, and occasionally Dick. He is highly amused by this question. And he says I can call him Richard. He adds, you can call me a dick behind my back. The GBC has been given a grant from a recently formed philanthropic foundation based in the Pacific Northwest. Well, let me rephrase that. Holbrook has secured a small and gleefully totally unrestricted grant from this foundation. It's terrific news, and Holbrook says I should be really pleased. I am but I'm also not sure what to make of this foundation. It is founded by a technology executive and his wife. I think the wife is the one to watch. The tech company from which they have made their fortunes has been much in the press, and I confess I had assumed until monopoly hearings began in early 2001 in the US and Europe that it was a public utility. I like its software. I like its web browsing technology, uncluttered and ubiquitous. The few people who work for the foundation seem very impressive, but there is no disconnecting the establishment of this foundation from the US and European legal cases 
On another occasion, I ask Holbrook if we can develop a performance evaluation plan. That irritates him. He says I'll know if I'm doing a bad job because he will tell me so. Otherwise, not to bother him, just get on with it. I have regular phone calls with Georgia Arnold from MTV International. She is a source of much support. I remember that during my one year at the UNAIDS Secretariat in Geneva, as part of the communications staff, we jollied over to the Avenue Appenier and the WHO studios to watch an edit of a new World AIDS Day Staying Alive program that would be aired across the MTV channels around the world. It was the day in the life of a young Russian injecting drug user and her experience of obtaining an HIV test. I don't remember the results of the test, but I do remember the horror I felt at seeing her and her friends shoot up heroin using a shared needle. Actually seeing that needle puncturing skin, seeing red blood flow up before the liquid heroin is pressed into the bloodstream, and then the needle is shared and the process begins again with someone else. It nearly brings me to tears. Some colleagues think I'm a bit weak. However, I don't think I have ever seen any HIV awareness and prevention material as hard-hitting as this. It struck me forcefully at the time, and as I sit here writing these notes on a chilly New York evening in autumn 2001, it strikes me again that only the private sector can do this so professionally and with such gut-punching impact. Not NGOs, and most definitely not governments. I am from a British caste that churns out civil servants. The public sector is our blood, so I don't really know what to make of this observation. Holbrook's office calls me and instructs me that Holbrook will not see a famous actor who wants to press him about a foreign policy issue affecting a South Asian country. I am to meet the actor instead at our Viacom offices. I am to impress him with my English accent and I am told not to commit to anything. I do meet the actor. The actor is a lot smaller in real life than you would expect from his screen persona, but he's also very passionate and very well educated about the issue. I know a little bit about it, and his requests to Holbrook seem very reasonable. I offer to report back and to stay in touch on how we might help. That may be more than Holbrook wants me to commit to. At the end of the meeting, I escort the actor to the entrance of the Viacom building. He says he can be anonymous simply by pulling a baseball cap down firmly onto his head. And my golly, he is right. He disappears in plain sight into Times Square. I then return to the elevators and manage to hop into one just as its door closes. There is only one other person in it, a small and absolutely beautiful young lady. She has incredibly lacquered long golden brown hair and is wearing a short matching dress made of sequins. She ignores me and stares studiously at the elevator buttons in front of her and gets off at a floor below me. And I think, it is Mariah Carey. What a day. We hire a second staff member, Priya Berry. She had the nerve to walk up to Holbrook at some student event at a New England university. Holbrook was very impressed with her. Patricia and I meet with her, and we are equally impressed. I feel we may be able to create something here, if only we can get companies to commit. This next event may have taken place in 2003, but I have taped a printed out page, rather than my italic writing, into the diary entry here. 
It makes sense, because as well as Holbrook's person on AIDS, I was also his interpreter on British culture. It's morning, and I receive an urgent, desperate call from his office. We are about 10 blocks away from each other. Get up here right now. He is being interviewed by Ali G. What in heaven's name persuaded him to accept an interview with Ali G? Can you not check with me first? We thought it was the BBC. I grab my jacket and tie and run for the elevators. It's Holbrook's office again. It's okay. Holbrook handled it and the TV crew has gone. Holbrook has left for a meeting at the UN, so no need for you to come over. Sorry. I don't think the Holbrook interview made the cut in whatever mockumentary Sasha Baron Cohen was making, but I did see a video of the interview. Baron Cohen asking puerile questions which are not funny and which Holbrook neatly deflects without effort. Holbrook's eyes seem to squint slightly, like lasers reducing the man, cutting him down to size. But Holbrook also seems faintly interested in the interview, as if he is in on the joke. Later in the day, Holbrook calls me and laughs. I guess I should be honoured, he says. But he asked if my executive assistant is my fly girl. You're British. What does fly girl mean? I say, I don't know. He laughs and he says, well, you aren't hip, are you? I reply in astonishment. You thought I was hip? And I don't know that people use that word anymore, hip. Point taken, he says. December the 8th, 2001. There are the occasional glimmers of traction for the GBC. I meet a Southern African mining company, and in particular its medical director. I realise that this is going to be one of the most important meetings for the GBC I have this year. He agrees to the company joining the GBC. He is also joining that strange Swiss conference organisation's business response to AIDS effort. It's too early to say which effort will be the eventual winner, he remarks. I don't say anything, but I do understand the point he's making. We explore the possibility of a Holbrook trip to South Africa, particularly now, with the new president, Thabo Mbeki, toying with AIDS denialism. The rumours are that he stays up late searching on the internet and finds a notorious AIDS denialist that has a curious connection to the University of California in Berkeley, and who argues that AIDS is just the effects of poppers or disco dancing, or some such thing, certainly not caused by a virus. Perhaps, muses Mbeki, AIDS is the result of poverty. South Africa should not be bribed into taking large donations of HIV medications to treat people that don't need them. The medical director of the mining company says it would send an incredibly powerful message that such a high-level US diplomat and advocate comes to South Africa, meets with business leaders and activists, and supports their efforts to fight AIDS with science. We agree that this is what the GBC was set up to do, and I promise to make it happen. Although, as I hang up, I wonder whether I have adequate influence with Holbrook to do this. I have to say, I deeply, deeply despise the denialists who luxuriate in San Francisco's Bay Area. It is another example of empire. I know I shouldn't, but I am going to write down what I really think. But I hope they choke on their knit-your-own-yogurt. 
Other early memberships during this time are Leo Hindry from the Yes Networks, Yankees Entertainment and Sports Network. The LGBT activist David Mixner represents Yes in many of our meetings. We get on very well, and he invites me to dinner to meet some of his New York friends. He says, I need to balance my life in a more effective way, and he offers to help. It is a very moving moment for me. I also meet some US leaders of a European bank based in New York. They commit to nothing other than wanting more access to Holbrook, which strikes me as inappropriate. I remember an occasion earlier in the year when the head of the UNAID's New York office and I left a particularly nasty meeting with one UN member state. He said to me then, Ben, I feel so dirty. I feel I have to take a shower. Well, this is how I feel now. The bank is not interested in AIDS. It just wants access to Holbrook. That in itself is not unexpected, and it's not new. But it's that it makes no attempt to feign interest in the business response to AIDS that bothers me. Thirty first of December, two thousand and one. A few weeks ago, a UK businessman and friend of Susan Pearl introduces me to a native New Yorker who is also in his mid thirties and who has been hugely commercially successful. Apparently, we meet for dinner, and I am then invited to join him and a group of his friends that are sharing a vacation home in a ski resort in Colorado over the New Year. Holbrook is impressed and says that I must go get his company to join the GBC. From what I can make out, this company does a number of things, including servicing private jets. But I may be wrong. I do go to Colorado for the New Year holiday. The New Yorker is actually exceptionally offensive, riotously so. He refuses to talk to me as soon as I arrive, and I am tempted to get back on the first plane to New York. But I do meet two other New Yorkers, CJ and JD, and they persuade me to stay. I make some cultural mistakes, which we laugh off. Firstly, I am horrified when they say they are going to make cufflinks combining their names, CJD. I point out that CJD is the acronym for Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, a neurological disorder that is thought to have crossed over from cows to humans, mostly through poor farming practices in the UK. Thus, we laugh when I call them the mad cows, which I think, in hindsight, is in slightly bad taste. And I apologize. While everyone else in the party in Colorado are strong skiers, CJ and I are not, and we are assigned to a ski instructor. He is very good and very patient. He calls me Alice. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why, but we laugh politely. And as CJ and I ride up in the ski lift together, we make conversation, including how to pronounce the word macrame. He places the emphasis on the first syllable, and I, like a good European, place the emphasis on the second syllable. Macrame, macrame. At cocktails in the evening, CJ, JD, and I find this very funny. Holbrook calls to wish me a happy new year and not to bother recruiting our host into the GBC. He says he has looked further into the company and it's not worth the effort. This is a huge relief to me, but I am intrigued. Because we have been on the hunt for new members and not especially selective, 
Patricia even recruited a local Nairobi private sector refuse collecting service because we are that desperate for momentum. So why now? Does this explain my host's extraordinary behaviour to me? Holbrook is staying at a ski resort nearby. To begin with, I'm a bit offended that he doesn't invite me over. However, nearby does not mean the same in American English. This resort is a few hours' drive away at least, and it is snowing heavily. The CJDs and I are going to see in the new year, and we will ignore our host, and we will fly back separately to New York tomorrow. I believe I have found some friends to help me build the foundations of a social life in the New York area. I'm going to give this a go, and I am going to make this work. The Business Fights Aids podcast was written and narrated by Ben Plumley. It is produced in association with Lato Beave Resources, producer of Posi, a pan-African design clothing brand specializing in the use and redesign of Ankara and other African fabrics. The Business Fights Aids podcast is directed and produced by Eric Espera of Newsdoc Media, and the digital producer is Troy Espera. The Business Fights Aids podcast is a project of the Icana Health Action Lab.